Welcome to The Real Work, a podcast about opening access to career success and workplace belonging for everyone. Presented to you by the team at Lantern Rouge. Through these community conversations, we want to learn and share how careers actually work and how we show up for each other in all manners of professions, unpacking the experiences that shape us and how we can each play a role in designing our future of work. Here is your host, Alex Lamb, an organizational psychologist and the chief executive of Lantern Rouge. My guest today is Atlanta St. John who is head of the Harlequins Women's Rugby Program, a club that is over 150 years old and one of the most recognised rugby clubs around the world, with both professional men's and women's teams who compete in the top respective leagues in England. Since the inception of the women's team in 2016, Harlequins have been a front-runner, reaching the grand final two seasons running and setting crowd attendance records for women's matches, including at its annual women's showcase match, The Game Changer. Previously to Harlequins, Atlanta has worked on major global events, including the 2014 Glasgow Commonwealth Games and the 2015 Rugby World Cup. She studied history before going on to complete an MA in sports business management. In this discussion, we talk about the limitations athletes are facing in their training through COVID, the important work of enabling spectator experiences and youth involvement, how players develop professional skills for the long term off the pitch, and the changing landscape for female athletes. I hope you enjoy this sneak peek into the workplace of a professional team. So welcome Atlanta, thank you for joining. Hi Alex, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So just to kick off, uh, our last guest, her name was Dr. Summer Finlay. She's a Yorta Yorta woman from Australia um, and she had some, you know, suggestions and some advice for you. She wanted to tell you, have fun, enjoy this conversation, but most of all, be true to yourself. So. I offer that as a as a gift. Great no advice. pressure like for that. this discussion. Great. Yeah. <laughs> no, great advice. So just based on hearing your bio, um, my first question is obviously really specifically around women's sport, the rugby league in um, the UK in particular. How has COVID impacted you? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting six months to say the least. Um, and I think, um, you know, sport sport in general is is not a pandemic friendly industry I know there's not many that are but it's been yeah it's been it's been pretty tough and it's been um you know a a big challenge and there's been a lot of hard work put in to to make sure the focus and the the commitment keeps keeps going I think um you know what's really important is that it's not men and women's sport It, it, it is sport that has been going through this and um, there's been times where men's sport has led the way in terms of coming back earlier or perhaps having more resources to be able to, to get back on its feet quicker. But at the same time, it's a fantastic learning curve. Frankly, if they're getting a lot of the stuff in terms of how we're going to do this, why and, and, and sort of when, we've been able to kind of follow and, and use that as, as great learning experiences. Um, and also just from a safety perspective in, in the sense of what have they done, how have they done it, it's, it's allowed us to, to kind of get back into training. So where, where we're at in terms of the league that we compete, at, uh, compete in called the Premier 15s, um, we sort of went into, into lockdown effectively in March in the mm-hmm. UK um, and the league was pretty much suspended um, straight away, um, followed by a kind of declaration of it being null and void for the 2019-20 season. So where, where we've been really hit is that our players haven't played any rugby since March. And that's a significantly long time, particularly in a compact sport for obvious reasons. Um, 
they were absolutely incredible during lockdown in the UK. Some of them built their own squat racks. Some of them um, sourced equipment from all over. Some of they did a lot of running, obviously. Um, you know, they were they were all over all over Europe and, and the UK. To be honest, we've got a lot of international players. We had players back in Germany, France, Belgium, um, Italy at some points. We had a few Irish players. So we kind of saw them get back to their families, which was absolutely the most important thing. And mm-hmm. um, it's been it's been a long it's been a long long summer. And, and as elite athletes, that's clearly not what you want to be doing in the sense that you want to be in a high performance training environment you want to be together you want to be being able to access all of our medical resources our strength and conditioning um you know you want to be coached you want to be coached by our coaches so where we're at now is that we have returned to training which is really mm-hmm. exciting we've been back about six seven weeks and we're hopeful that we can resume our league um in early october we fall under the elite level of the sport um and rugby rugby across the world i mean new zealand led the way they went back to, to clearly in sort of reflection of, of their where they're at in terms of their <laughs> the priorities as well yeah <laughs> exactly exactly but they have some incredible crowds and kind of almost back to normality um, in the UK, the men's league has resumed. Um, and actually, Harlequins was one of the first test events literally three days ago um, to have crowds back in of about two and a half, three thousand. 3,000. Hopefully, there's some green shoots, but, but clearly the climate and the landscape is pretty pretty changeable. Um, mm. pretty sort of, it's, it's not necessarily consistent at the moment, and, and depending on each, each even, even in the UK, which is not a very big country compared to some, it's still very regional and, and sort of reflective of what's happening in, in local mm-hmm. areas so yeah I mean COVID has certainly paused us but what I think is um, really important in women's sport is that it would be really easy to say well resources have been hit budgets are hit um, how are we going to come out the other side of this but it was on a real crest of a wave you know probably women's football or soccer um, has kind of certainly led the way and there was a huge momentum kind of pushing forward from netball to hockey, you know, host the UK hosting major events, um, you know, women's rugby on the rise, incredible viewing figures for the last women's football world cup of over 11 million in the UK alone. And there was this huge crest of a wave that I think is really important to, to keep holding on to and keep remembering. Um, and it would be really easy to kind of allow this negative angle and conversation of going, well, what now for women's sport? Actually, what's what's the key is there are some incredibly passionate women people to make this work, which mm. hopefully I'd be considered as one of them yeah. to make sure that it is different and it's not going to be the same, but it doesn't mean that we can't keep pushing forward and keep evolving. And it's probably slowed us, but my God, it's not going to stop us. And I think that counts across women's sports and and actually, women's football this weekend had some of those test events I mentioned. It's certainly being factored into into plans. And the fact that, you know, even for our league, we'll be back in October, where we've been hit is obviously the length of time we've had off. But our original start date was probably mid-September. So we're only actually starting a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Should have been. Mm. So okay. actually, that, that's that's massively exciting. So it's it's certainly that kind of keeping that commitment and that message to go we're still here and you know there's some incredible athletes across across all sports and women's, women's sport in this country and the world frankly who who you know have got fantastic stories and they're amazing individuals particularly with what they did in lockdown some of them working on in frontline roles and um you know as a club we want to make sure they've got that platform and that support behind them in terms of the infrastructure that when they've come back into training they've got their medical access they've got their strength conditioning they've got good training facilities 
mm. because hopefully our focus is going to be in a month to get back on the pitch and yeah. be competitive and and you know we've we've had two good runs the last couple of years unfortunately our season clearly was was somewhat stopped and then you know declared null at the end the middle of last season um but yeah, we want to we want to be right back on there, and we're a performance sport, so we want to be able to help our athletes perform from the off, not sort of have have the issue of well, there's been six months off. Okay, well, it's a new challenge of how all the clubs and all sports have gone. Yeah, this has been a pause, but we got to get back on that pitch as soon as possible and and, and reinvent. Yeah, there's exactly. a lot of innovation I can imagine happening now, and with regards to how do we get the sport out to the fans, <laughs> but as well, how are you supporting the athletes? And so with yeah. that in mind, can you share a bit more about like your role? What, what was the day-to-day before and what is the day-to-day now? Yeah, I think my, you know, so as, as you've mentioned, I head up the whole Harlequins program. So I'm not, I'm not a coach, um, which some people, you know, from the title that, that may suggest, but my role's very much been on the kind of strategic direction, the growth mm-hmm. and development of the game. Um, sort of as you touched on at the start, we've, worked really hard to to you know have the best training environment or you know keep developing it to make sure we eventually achieve the best training environment have the you know good staff in place get great players in to kind of really have that strong infrastructure on the playing side but if 50 people watch you then no one's going to know about you so kind of our our ambition and our plan has always been to, to really showcase the game as a whole what are we doing at the grassroots level? What's our marketing, our PR? What's, you know, what's the stories that we're telling? What's the commercial growth of the game? And that's sort of something that I've always um, sort of coordinated. I worked with some incredible staff at Quinn's. So the women's team is very much a part of the main club, kind of a one club ethos in that regard. So you come to our home ground and there's women's branding just alongside the men. And, and in our photo shoots, the men and the women feature side by side and they've done so since day one. Um, mm. So that was kind of my my key role, and still absolutely is. You know, we as you, as you touched on, we've set some record crown attendances. We we host a game called uh, the Big Game every Christmas, and it's now 12 years old. It's hosted at Twickenham Stadium, which is the national stadium in in, in England for the England England team. And um, the game, sorry, the club has hosted these these series since inception 12 years ago, where we now sell out, and it's an 82,000 crowd. That's been our showcase event. Mm. For, for for the club and when we set up the women's you know our staff had a great great idea they said we need to do the same for the for the women's team and have their showcase match that in 12 years time hopefully we're playing at Twickenham and, and we've got record crowds so that's where the game changer was was sort of begun from and um you know unfortunately we we weren't able to host it this year <laughs> it was literally mid-April so it was probably three four weeks off the lockdown had begun which you know was was hard to take in some regards because it's such a fantastic celebration not only the mm. team but we bring in other women's sports organizations it's a huge family-friendly club um day out there's live music you know food drink we put a real emphasis on the spectators experience um you know so they come away going not only was that hopefully a great game of rugby but what a great family day out it's affordable it's accessible and it's it's introducing more and more people to the women's game yeah um and so that that's kind of always been my main mantra of my role is the growth development player support it's it's making sure we've got happy players on pitch to then perform on pitch and so that the women's staff have the right infrastructure behind them because we've got some incredible experts in their field from coaches to, as I said, S&C, physio, um, you know, analysis to make sure they can just go off and do the best job that they can do. And it's it's kind of that general oversight of, of the programme. 
Um, and how it's kind of changed, how it's changed in the last few months is obviously um, it's become a lot more operational in the sense that there's been obviously a lot of planning and uh, we have a fair few minimum standards that we need to meet as a club um, in the league that we can play in. Obviously, safety and welfare is absolutely paramount. So there's been a lot of, of kind of risk assessments and working with the wider club staff and external stakeholders. Um, look, some of it comes down simply to are we making sure all the right cleaning stuff is out to for the players to be training in a safe environment. So, yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, everyone's saying it, but it definitely pivoted slightly. Um, yeah. And I think I think one, one big challenge has been because we don't have clarity, you know, in sport, you know what your season is, you know, when you're playing, who you're playing, what dates, and you probably plan it all nine months out. And of course, you have to adapt and react and make changes. But it can be quite a structured planned sort of nine months ahead of you and at the moment that's that's not the case in any sport and that's where yeah. it's very very challenging for the industry because you know you could have crowds last weekend or next weekend and in two weeks you can have twice as many fans or you can have nothing because something happened or yeah. the game gets moved or oh you know all of these all these different factors and, and scenarios and that's certainly um an interesting challenge an interesting landscape have to react to that um, and at the end of the day as well you're you know we work with a squad of about 45 players about 10 staff who are an amazing bunch of people but that's a large group of people to to kind of oversee but also you know you've got to make sure they're reassured and you've got to know what yeah. their focus is and it's again it's performance sport okay well who are we playing on the first weekend and when are we playing you know that's that's clarity we would have sort of for weeks and, and even months potentially before starting a league and, and that's where the challenges lie. Um, yeah. It's 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 not that it's not happening, it's just clearly such a changeable landscape at the moment. Um, and it has unique challenges of can we even travel on a team bus or do we want to drive ourselves? Or can we have a post match post post match meal? Well you can, but it has to be certain, you know, it's not going to be a sit down <laughs> round yeah. the table anymore. And that yeah. again for sport is, you know, we're even limited on how much medical treatment players can receive at the moment. So and that's all safety first and foremost, one hundred percent supported. But it's a it's a very it's a very different world at the moment. And yeah. that's probably um, you know, it's also we're we're going through current stages. So our our league, you know, literally it's gonna be stages one to one to five, five being back to normal, um, full crowds in, etc. Um, and that's that's some way off. But to return to training with our stage one, okay, well there's quite a lot of documentation and planning for that. And then it develops into stage two. And while there's things that carry on from the first stage, actually review, change, implement, add add in extras, um, it's almost we've got these these chunks of of windows where we need to make sure we're ready for that. And then adapt and change for the next one and that's that's mm. quite challenging whereas again okay once we get into the rhythm of being in the season for nine months of course every week you're playing someone different you're you're, you're adapting and doing something for that weekend but at the same time you've got a level of regularity whereas now it's uh, it's probably a four to five week window and going okay what does the next stage look like yeah all, all the ambition to get them back on that pitch and and you know performing to the best level that they can yeah do. the ambiguity that you're having to operate within i think is you know it's huge yeah. and that's um i mean across industries across workplaces exactly. <laughs> that ambiguity exactly. is something that people are struggling with absolutely and so given that part of your role is around um you know the the spectator experience and being able to create 
as you said, like that family environment, being able to showcase women's rugby and kind of um, bring in the crowds. <laughs> How yeah. has that shifted? I know you're out of out of um, competition at the moment, but what are you thinking just projecting forward as to how you can innovate or take things from other leagues, take things from, from the men's experience? Um, what can you lend from to try to look at how you recreate that spectator experience again? Yeah, I think, you know, that is going to be a massive and unique challenge. Um, I think in the league that we compete in, um, it's just finished its first three year reiteration. And there was no relegation or promotion. Um, and we're actually entered into a new three-year era with a couple of new teams, a couple of dropped outs. And that provides a real level of, of consistency. But actually, at the moment, it's going through um, kind of a process by the governing body that runs it to find a new title sponsor and a new broadcaster. And that mm. sits with the governing body rather than the clubs. And that, that is a unique challenge is, is that in a couple of weeks, if, if there's no broadcast, no one's watching women's rugby, which which clearly in your fourth year of, of existence and for all the hard work that all the clubs have done, not just Harlequins, you know, the league yeah, in general, that's a hard in general hit. it's a, it's a hard hit. And that's obviously not going to be forever, but it's that challenge of the resources, the budget in the current climate that have, have taken a, taken a big hit and a big toll. It's um, yeah, it's, it's how we're going to do that and engage and look, social media is, is king a hundred percent, even before um, COVID, you can see the popularity. I think, you know, the women's NBA live stream their matches um, consistently for the first time and they had fantastic viewing figures. And what's a real opportunity for sport, be it men or women's, is that everyone's missed it. Regardless of the sport, everyone has missed it. If yeah. you get your scheduling right, if you get your, you know, your promotion right, people at the moment are like, oh, I might not have been a big fan of women's rugby or women's basketball or men's, America, you know, American football, whatever it may be it's on TV or it's, it's, it's accessible and it's not behind a paywall for the first time. You know, in England, there's been a fair bit of cricket being played and it's, it's you know, women's cricket as well. It's, it's been shown on, on terrestrial mainstream television that isn't behind a paywall. Well, actually, you've got an opportunity to engage a whole new audience, a whole new generation. You know, a lot of people, unfortunately, have been sat at home, not being able to get out yes. and, and do stuff. Well, that flexibility is, is, is now relaxed slightly what a great opportunity for a young child to be watching cricket, watching rugby, whatever it may be, and go, oh, hang on a second. And, and you might, you know, in, in a in a unique world that's going through something pretty pretty impactful, are we actually going to be able to inspire a new generation? Um, mm. Because it's going to be much more visible. It's going to be much more visible than before. And I think in terms of just engaging the fans, it's our players are fantastic. You know, they all have their own social media accounts. We have main club channels as well that kind of engagement, even if it's just shout outs or, you know, visiting, visiting, uh, sort of virtually meeting, meeting people. Um, it's really difficult because my favourite thing about the team that, you know, is that at the end of the game, we have to ask, eventually ask them to leave the pitch. <laughs> They'll be out there for about a good hour and a half speaking to every fan, every kid, yeah. signing pictures, getting selfies, autographing anything, speaking to anyone of any age. And it's just amazing to see. And if we say we ask them to leave the pitch because the security team are like, it's been 90 minutes, like your best yeah. match me is cold. <laughs> we have to turn the lights off. But it's such an incredible thing. And the engagement is 
is very special to, to watch it's very yeah. very special and it's and not the access that's... i guess yeah exactly and it's not necessarily still there in in, in men's sports um and that's fair if you're a global superstar you obviously don't necessarily you can't speak for the people that want Basis to, to, to be or... yeah <laughs> exactly and actually it's it's very special seeing our players engage and we've had countless people write in to say I think, I think she had a broken hand and she cut her head and she was covered in mud, but she spoke to my daughter for, for yeah. half an hour and my daughter went home saying, I want to grow up to be like her. And that, that for me makes my job very special to hear that kind of story. Yeah. Um, and then not, not everyone is going to want to play for Harlequins or be a professional rugby player, but my God, if they're a fan for life or it makes them, you know, what's special about our players is a lot of them still have day careers. You know, they, they still work full time or part time around their rugby We've got PhD lecturers, we've got teachers, we've got business owners. You know, if a kid walked away and said, actually, I want to be a lecturer, a PhD lecturer or a doctor like that player, that's still just as impactful as I want to run out of the top of the stoop as captain one day. Um, you yeah. know, there's so many different ways that the players are inspiring the next generation. And as you've kind of touched on, that, that will be a unique challenge. You know, hopefully we can have crowds, but if we have to say, you can't go up go up to them or you can't take you can't take five different pens to autograph guys you know and I, it's just even even that level of thinking hasn't ever had to be done before no. and it's it's you know not to hate the phrase but covid proofing you know and that you, you're totally right it's it's going to be how can we think differently and engage but yeah. the ambiguity of not knowing when that may happen there therein makes it makes it a challenge but I think digital is is absolutely essential um absolutely mm. essential and I'll, I'll be honest for women's sport that that can be a challenge because of the budget and the resources available um and sort of you know have you got the infrastructure in terms of where are you playing are you playing in stadiums are you playing at training grounds well that doesn't necessarily mean it's broadcast friendly so there are there are some you kind of you know interesting interesting challenges yeah ahead. I know it's um, such a such a bundle of like yeah. there's so many things there to unpick and and I guess the, the thing that sounds you know I guess op, uh, like a good opportunity with regards to social media is that yes there's strategy and yes there's you know there's there's expense that comes along with it but it gives you a direct connect out to the public yeah. whereas the broadcaster yeah. to some extent you're you're sort of out there um, decision making you're at their will as to what yeah. resources or infrastructure or you know availability yeah. slots they have to broadcast so so I guess that's a little bit of taking control but I like this point that you made around the role modeling because I mean athletes in general people look to them um, yeah uh, you know for for I guess expressions of like perseverance and hard work and yeah. high performance and and it is really an epitome for a lot of people and and as you said, if you've got young people who are seeing your athletes as their role models, I think that's awesome because what yeah. you're just explaining is such well-rounded people, <laughs> as you've said, like yeah. academics oh, and business owners. But it also yeah. makes me feel like these female athletes in particular who are athletes and have side hustles and have other, other forms of uh, employment and income, I hope, yeah. because they need to have, you know, take care of their, yeah. their whole, whole life what is that role modeling it's role modeling a lot of hard work and a lot of grit a lot of resilience yeah. but also just like the range that these female athletes have to be able to cover as well yeah. um not by co- not oh. by comparison to to their male yeah. counterparts but it's not an no, easy no, I mean, they are, that they're role modeling 
they're incredible, incredible people. I mean, the fact that they can even multitask and what's really interesting is we've seen a real growth in commercial interest, even just in terms of players going to do kind of speaking events because you say, oh, they play rugby and they score a try. Oh, by the way, she's a firefighter or she's a teacher or she owns three businesses. They're like, sorry, what did, what did you say? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, she plays for her country and does all of this. Or she, you know, she's training to be an accountant or they're in the military or they're in the services such as the police. It's, it's just an incredible story. And I actually think that in terms of player welfare and development, all men's sports, I think there's been a real turnaround from, you know, probably less in football just because of the salaries. But, but men's, men's rugby, there aren't, there aren't massive salaries. It's getting more and more, but there aren't massive salaries. And actually, in terms of welfare, particularly in such a contact heavy sport and unfortunately can be be ended your career can be ended very very suddenly unfortunately um you know very abruptly there's been a real shift I think in okay well what am I going to do next and and how am I going to do it and I think the men's game is becoming to the fore and what I love about the women's game is you know we do help players find sort of employment sometimes Mm. because they're genuinely interested in an industry and, and can we help with our connections and sometimes they need to the club or they want to have a bit of a change they can commit more time to training and they go, well, you know, I can make an introduction. I'm like, oh, this person has a genuine 10 year resume. And it's, you know, she's, she's worked in this industry. And, you know, I've, I've had a player who's sadly gone back to, to France to be near her family. You know, it's been mm. a difficult period of time. She's got genuine career aspirations to work in, in sports administration. And she had some incredible roles already. And I no doubt when I spoke to her when she was leaving, I said, I know you'll be hiring me one day because no doubt you're going to get, you're going to go far. And it's, you know, the passion she had to stay within her, within that industry and didn't want to pivot just because of rugby was, was impressive. You know, it's a shame to have lost her as a player, but I fully respect the fact that she wanted to commit to her her profession and, and has these amazing ambitions. And I think that's what I love is, is, that they're already thinking ahead or they've already got a, a career and actually rugby is becoming more professional and becoming more more frequent in terms of training commitments and how how much you need to commit to it in terms of your you, you know what your week to week looks like and day to day but they're still doing some incredible things and they yeah they're just they're just fantastic individuals and it's it's certainly um going to be an interesting uh interesting few months but it's the stories that I think will will massively support that you know we had as I touched on we had frontline workers working in hospitals you know food supply chain um, business owners who you know who who ran fitness shops for example and, and all of that you know they they were on the front line there that you know they were supporting people but they also faced their own challenges of personal finances and putting yeah. their health at risk and and again that story of rugby comes second at that point they weren't playing anyway but rugby comes second of my god you know you were you're on standby because you're in the military to go into hospitals or you were in hospitals setting up COVID wards that's just no sports story can probably beat what people have been going through you know that's that's where it's just fantastic to say look what these guys have been doing um yeah let alone what they then get back to on the on the rugby pitch yeah and hopefully it means this part of their portfolio of their career let's call it is, you know, of course, as you say, you, you have to be able to, in moments of crisis, stack rank that and <laughs> say, okay, where where is my highest um, value to my family, to my society? But also it shows that this must be work that they really see as their pleasure occupation <laughs> and something that they love and that they want to, that they're committed to, that they're absolutely professional about, but it's, there must be a love and an enjoyment that's bringing them 
towards it. So, but how much does your role get involved in that career management aspect of, of the players? You've, you've, you've mentioned welfare, you've mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that their mental kind of um, wellness is taken care of as part of a total, total, you know, view of how the team is operating. How much does career support play into that as well? I think, yeah, look, it's it's pretty essential, not just for me, you know, all of our staff are really aware of it. And it's it's kind of, there's a number of factors. My my personal perspective is I competed in sports quite a high level, not rugby, but, um, you know, and I, unfortunately, my career ended very quickly from a... What from did you do? I, I used to row quite a lot. I spent a lot okay. of time in some boats and boat, yes. rowing is a fantastic sport, but it's, yeah. it's you train, you train a lot. Uh, I used to train three times a day and unfortunately... And very early um, bird, yeah very very long yeah very very long hours and um you know I was very fortunate I got to travel a fair bit of the world and you know competed at a high level but I was quite young and just due to injury and my performances unfortunately dropped off I um you know I was on funding and that got cut quite suddenly and it's it's just that angle of what do I do now um and I was you know in a position where I was able to go complete my master's but actually still didn't start my professional career till I was 25 partly because I hadn't worked in an office environment and I actually struggled to get work because of that um, even though I hopefully had all these other fantastic transferable skills so it's quite important and passionate to me having been through it um, but kind of the wider wider ethos across all of our staff across the club is it's twofold you know the women's game is is professionalizing very rapidly it's not you know unless you are paid by your national union it's it's not quite at the level where clubs can afford to to pay everyone a full-time living wage also because I think it's really important to balance you know to have something away from sport um, and actually what we want to do is support those who are already in industry and support their careers so can we facilitate with instructions to the club network can we help profile their business and give it some extra coverage right through to the younger players who you know and it's not just careers it's also education you know we've got players studying a million one different university courses um, mm. or their personal trainers and they're taking various qualifications or, you know they're doing vocational work you know apprenticeships so it's it's not one size fits all and I just think it's very important because what I've touched on is it help helps give them a great story and it also really is okay we're not just looking at your five ten year career in rugby what are you going to do what are you going to do after and they're they're the real first generation of semi-professional professional athletes and they are paving the way which I'm sure is probably frustrating in some ways because in 10 years you'd argue the game will be fully professional crowds will be huge every weekend be on mainstream television we're not going to get there without these incredible individuals and then the flip side is is that in a way I think it's really important and it's fantastic to see that they have other stuff going on outside of sports because otherwise you just become consumed by it you know, and if it doesn't go well, well, then it goes into mental well-being and mental sort of welfare and, and how and, and support. And actually, as I've touched on then for the club, we get those stories, we get that interest. Are we able to engage with new audiences because perhaps because of someone's, someone's story or the career? Yeah, they're, because they're really um, well-rounded people, broad, exactly. broad interests. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's that kind of element of are they happy off pitch? If they're happy off the pitch, they're probably going to be happy on it and they're probably going to be performing to a high level. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of key to us and, you know, not only myself, but all of us help with how can we support you, particularly if you're new to the club, you know, anything from let's have a look at your CV, <laughs> sort of help yeah. reformat it, because that's, that's a huge education piece as well, particularly if they have come from 
and more rugby background and all of a sudden they're like I do want to change or I want to get into something or I've been working in industry x but now I want to do industry y um it's it's it has to be essential and I think they are genuinely the leaders of 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 tomorrow in that regard or they already are leaders you know we have some players in their 30s who I no doubt when they fully retire are going to be working in senior sports whereas in terms of senior sport administration will be working in business they'll be CEOs because because of all the skills you mentioned and, and the fact the leadership the resilience what they've been through you know they've competed at world cups and then they could go and run a boardroom it's it's mm. that's I think essential and I always say to people, if I if I had my own business or I won the lottery and started my own business, I would hire I would only hire athletes. And they may not be they may not be ready on day one. They may not be ready on day one, but I can guarantee you they will be the best employees you ever hire. And I would say that to anyone. Um, I just think that the skills they have translate. You know, once they get their feet under the table, it translates yeah. into something much bigger. And you know, from the very start of, they're probably going to be pretty good team players. <laughs> yeah right through to they're going to work very hard for you they're going to be very very kind of dedicated ambitious mm. um and i just think as you you said they're very well-rounded individuals if they can handle all of that getting up early morning training training late playing in front of thousands the pressure that comes with it the the notoriety the the growth in their personal profile the fact they're in the national media and then you know they some of them are literally playing on TV on a Saturday and back at their desk on a Monday morning. Yeah, and that's been that's been massively exciting to to see that growth. But that's probably going to give them some very strong skill sets to to bring back into the world of business. But how do they find that? Do you have any um, like you, you're talking about your own experience of having moved from a high level of sport into you know a professional world? And there was an analogy there of still moving into the sporting world, but it sounds like there was a um, you know the you implied and tell me if I'm right or wrong, but that there was maybe some challenge of getting into these roles because you were measured by what you didn't have, which was office experience, so to speak, as opposed to what you did have, which was all of these attributes and character strengths that you've just explained. So is that something common that the athletes see? Like how, how do they find they're able to articulate the transference of those skills and how does the market knowing that they're going into a whole variety of professions and industries and sizes of business. But is there any, anything you generally see about how people make that, um, that move and how they articulate the strengths from their professional sport experience to whatever comes next? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll caveat that. Um, unfortunately, I stopped competing when I was quite young, so that was a good 10 years, which is depressing to say, but yeah. <laughs> to go now, I wish it wasn't 10 years, but yeah, it is. Uh, so, um, you know, I think it was a slightly different world, obviously in a different sport. And um, I really do think that there's been massive change, even just the number of women personally working working in sport has, has sort of transformed, particularly at the senior level. Um, and I think actually it's very prevalent, you know, tied into that mental well-being and, and, and mental health. Um, it's very prevalent to not just cool, you're done, see you know, see you later sort of situation. We've got to make sure that support continues. And mm. some some people will need more than others. Some people it would just be, you know, can we get them one day's work experience a week whilst they're still playing? Because they want to commit themselves to rugby fully, which is hundred percent supported on. But actually then they're coming out with a CV going, I've had office experience or I've been doing this or Fair enough, Lee. Some of them are like, oh, I'm not quite sure what I want to do. Well, can we help expose them to multiple yeah. industries that 
then they might go down the route of I'm going to go to university and get a qualification or I, I know what I want to do so I'm going to work my way up but I've landed my first job um, and hopefully you know you know with all with all humility Harlequins is a relatively big brand so I'd hope that we'd be able to introduce players to to certain certain people we always now involve them in corporate events so it may not even it may be nothing more complicated than where we've made sure that they've gone to a corporate event and they're guest speaking with 30 people are going up to market as their business card and are they then go speaking at an internal staff engagement event or now they've got them as an advocate that's a huge thing it's like who are you yeah. bringing on as your advocates and we want to do that as a club going there trying to go about it the right way in great women's sports but you know player x well, well, she was impressive and fantastic at speaking at that event under the Quinn's banner. Okay, well, have you gone for a coffee or a virtual coffee, as it may be? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that I think is, it's that education and awareness of it's actually really important to grow your network. And as a club, we've done that because I want, you know, I want people to go women's sport. You've got the likes of Manchester City, Man United, um, you know, England hockey, the women's England hockey team, field hockey they do some great things. I want Harlequins to be on people's lips when they say, yeah, I think of women's sport and these are the organisations trying to lead the way in it. Um, yes. And it's it's a mighty competitive landscape and in a way, more and more people doing it means women's sport is more and more successful. My competitive edge says, <laughs> I want to make sure that Quinn's, yeah. Harlequins is, is still very much at the forefront. But it's yeah, the same principle. The, yeah, it's the same principle for the players. You know, they've gone from maybe... A few hundred followers on social media to the thousands with personal sponsorship deals or personal kind of suppliers around nutrition or, or kit deals in terms of clothing and, and that's fantastic and you know the analogy I use a lot of the time is you know if we can market to x number of people through the club social media channels and, and just general profile will you add in 45 players all of their own personal brand social yeah, media platforms it's absolutely amplifying and it's 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 essential that that engagement and it, it all ties into it. And the fact that mm-hmm. we've got so many in so many different industries, as I said, from, from teachers to those business development managers in IT to, to fully professional rugby players who at the moment are focusing on their own sport. But that's a story in itself because they're the first generation to be able to do that. It all ties in and it just gives a whole different angle to probably the men's game or men's sport and any, any, any sort of discipline of REI, eat, play, sleep, train, repeat, eat, you know, Eat, train, sleep, repeat. It's, yeah. it's a new, it's a new, it's a new era, and it's a new, a new angle. Um, you know, there's another club actually that they've got a player in their team. I think he's a sort of digital graphic designer. Well, actually, she's doing some fantastic things, and her agency seems to have taken off. And it's just, it's just stuff like that. Well, she, she's probably now supporting other women's athletes, women's sports teams. Even that in itself is a great growth story and a great example because she's living and breathing yeah. it, and now she's helping others to, to kind of help with their their profile and their marketing campaigns and, and that's, yeah that's great in itself it's kind of a self-evolving self-growing system where your network is absolutely key I think absolutely key yeah network in any space isn't it is part of yeah. the success and particularly when the athlete's career is relatively short at the front end of their <laughs> life yeah. um, and that you know they may be involved in ancillary kind of sports and the industry and, and definitely I'm sure still have the passion for it but in terms of being competitive on the pitch we know that there's you know physical elements to that so how do they materialize that into the next you know the next iteration of of their career I think it's really and and as you say network being a key key aspect of that yeah. but also it sounds like training and having a constant eye on other um 
skill sets as well. Like here is yeah. the characters and, and of course I'm focused on this profession while I'm here, but what is yeah. my additional skill set that I'm kind of nurturing either in yeah. parallel or just, you know, just have my yeah. eye on it so that it's, it's, so it's there. The development of their own confidence as well, instead of just going, when well, I'm just a rugby player or I won't get into that industry. It's, it's kind of trying to help and support them and, and open their eyes to go, well, hang on a second. Yeah, okay, fine. You don't have the black and white university degree or you've not worked in an office for five years, but my God, you have X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Take it to them, you know, explain what you're doing. Look at who you are. Your profile's huge, you know, massive, you know, be it diversity and inclusion or you've captained the team, whatever it may be, it's it's absolutely, you know, it's it's kind of almost eye-opening to try and give them a confidence boost to explain why. And then what I love is, you know, hopefully it's coming across. I've become very passionate when I speak to companies about these individuals and about what the team is trying to do. Um, and that really helps. And it's it's networking. It's also creating as advocates, you know, as I touched on. It's, I think it's key. And it's, you know, you might be at the start of your rugby journey and you may not want a career. Or you may not be thinking about it for a good number of years. But if you've got someone back in your corner backing you the whole time, when the time comes, and I think that will tie into the growth of the women's, of women's sport and, and the women's mm. game in terms of rugby, it will only become more mainstream more visible more popular yeah and actually someone who's known you from day dot or early on in your career is probably going to be clambering to to get yeah. on with you when you officially retire because if we're talking years, through. yeah yeah if we're talking eight ten years down the road and you you're playing on national television every weekend and you're quite a prolific sports star well isn't that a great connection to have yeah you, you're you're ready to enter the the working world of, of business it's interesting to hear that confidence is a theme. I mean, it's it's obviously something that we see really, really come through very clearly in um, the corporate world for for women um, mm-hmm. in business space as well. Of like, how does the self talk play out? Like the story that they're telling themselves. How how do they work within a system? Like you're obviously competing and and um, you know performing within a, a game that was designed by men, for men, watched by men at some stage and then obviously come in with a different perspective and a different way of playing the game and claiming that space but still kind of within a structure that was, you know, designed for someone else. And so I don't, um, I don't, I'm not surprised that people have these question marks of confidence, like what can I do or who, mm-hmm. what, what am I in this space? Um and I, I like the approach of what you're explaining. It's what we look at in the corporate world as well. Is like, yeah. how do you take a strengths-based discussion <laughs> um, to say, and, and that probably applies really nicely into a sports context because you know, okay, you've got certain strengths, certain characteristics, so therefore you're going to play this role on a team or this role in a certain play or here's where your qualities come through to the, to the benefit of the team. So knowing your strengths is absolutely essential and then being able to bring that into the same mental model of like what are my strengths and how do I bring that into whatever comes next <laughs> um, yeah. despite the fact that I'm operating in a system that may or may yeah. not have been you know intended for me <laughs> yeah um, and I think I think a yeah. lot of it is you know they are extremely confident leaders and that's that's almost yeah. the thing being like you've got the skills that you need it's it's probably just we're just kind of well we are we're pivoting or we're, we're kind of sort of slightly aligning to a different direction but yeah they've got they've got fantastic confidence it's just good it's yeah. almost how can you support to you know because it shouldn't just be about rugby we you know otherwise we'd just be like eat, train, sleep, repeat. And this is, yeah. this is the program we give you. And, you know, it's, it's what else can we, we can do. And 
you know, I love I love speaking to players about business development. It's probably another sort of passion of mine of, of you know, how can we creatively think? And that's that's not part of my role. And I do that more with others that, that know that I want to do that rather than it just being a general thing, you know, because it's a bit of an odd conversation <laughs> when you're just passing at training. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely kind of making them realise. And I think that's also an inherent part of where we are in the sport, that it's gone from being, you know, essentially it's been around for, for decades, but it's only really gone mainstream in the last four or five years with all these things being turbocharged. It's making them realise that who they are, the role models they are, you know, recognised highly respected athletes they are now featuring in national media and press and that's not just harlequins i mean that's across the league the sport in general has this massive transformational change it's um it's it's all part and parcel um and that comes with you know you're an athlete now and you what you're well known you need to you need to kind of make sure you're portraying the right image but at the same time you've got great bargaining power and you you know you are now profile and that's going to lead to not just rugby related stuff you know and, and some of them and that's the other thing it's all personal choice as well some of them don't want to be in the public eye or aren't as confident speakers but they could be excelling in other areas um but they yeah as i've said these stories that they have to tell are incredible and yeah. massively interesting um you know compared to perhaps someone who just plays sport and trains and and, and that's it and it's it's definitely been a shift in the corporate world and just the general public Go, oh, hang on a second. There's there's so much more to them than just being yeah. a rugby player. There's richness here. Well, that's good to know. Thanks for qualifying that. I think then in that case, <laughs> understanding it's there's so much that we can learn in our business yeah. space from these role models then with regards to yeah, like how where do you get confidence from or where does it um where is it nurtured? I mean, you're saying it's nurtured within this team environment and through the accomplishments and through the reminder of role modeling. So there's something there for us to dig into, <laughs> to yeah. kind of take home. And, and there is so many, like, um, I guess, um, uh, metaphors from sport into business that we, we so often look into sport to, to think about courage and think about, you know, whatever the poster, <laughs> poster yeah. is at the time. But I, I genuinely believe that there's a stronger link that can be made between women in business and women in sport and the, the kind of knowledge and strength transfer, so to speak, that comes across yeah. breaking down boundaries in both of those um, worlds. Cause these people are the, the athletes that you're working with are, are literally in both worlds. So tell us, you know, you wanted to share a bit more about the Harlequins foundation as well. Um, I had a look at the website and we'll share it in the show notes here, but essentially it's the club's official charity and that's how you're using the power of sport to create more inclusion, promote the wellbeing and improve the life opportunities. Um, I think of like people in the community, is that right? Or is it focused on other athletes? Yeah. Yeah, so no, no, it's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many aspects to it. Um, you know, and the reason, the reason it's sort of close to my heart is that they've been running a dedicated getting girls into rugby program, Mm. Um, sort of again since since the women's team was incepted and it's crucial that the grassroots and the pathways are engaged so but they run a whole host of programs from mental well-being to um, healthy lifestyles to getting girls into sports to helping those you know from from different backgrounds you may have fallen out of education to getting them back into education getting them qualifications you know, even the last six months, you know, the impact that they've had of, of in the community and, and, and over here, what we mean by that is is our literally our local community. Um, it's, you know, we also have community rugby, but this is very much focused. It's not all about performance sports, but it's it's using the club 
as a vehicle. It's, you know, giving access to players. We've had, you know, some of the players call up kids on Zoom and obviously it's all been a surprise and just seeing their reactions. It's been food yeah. banks. <laughs> it's been, you know, kit collections, all of this kind of thing. So they run some incredible programmes and um, very closely linked to, you know, they always have a presence on match days. Um, they, they raise funds for these programmes to make sure they can reinvest. They're getting kids active, which is essential. And again, it's not all about finding the next captain of Harlequins men or Harlequins women. It's it's sometimes just going, how can we impact because they're not even in a healthier lifestyle or their mental well-being is dramatically changed or, yeah, they've had a call from a superstar rugby player um so no they're they're fantastic yeah yeah exactly and they they go out into clubs into schools they go into sort of local um programs and initiatives to to really support and they're relatively new as well they're not they're not much older than the women's team and again i think it's a reflection of of sport in general elite sport that there's a real power and strength in in kind of using the charitable arm to it's not about promoting the club and promoting about rugby it's it's generally trying to show that can make such a huge impact um, and it's all very closely aligned to the same that they work in the same office as, as the main club you know it's completely sort of a one one sort of club entity will be mm. there they're obviously the charitable arm but yeah they're um they're a fantastic organization and they do they do some incredible work and as i touched on they, they have a whole program dedicated to getting girls into into rugby and some of that is it's certainly changed perception. You know, women's rugby and girls' rugby has probably had a bit of a stigma over the years, and now it's flipped around to being the fastest growing part of the sport. So women and girls' rugby is, in terms of participation numbers, in terms of interest, is accelerating at a huge rate of knots compared to the men's game, that just because of it's been around so much longer is probably much slower. You know, it's not stagnant, but it's 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 kind of... It's More got of a bit saturation. Up yeah, mm. whereas now it's still fresh, it's still new, and I think particularly for young girls, maybe ties back into I watched a women's team play at our major stadium, I met this great role model, I want to be like her on and off the pitch. I do want to be the captain of Harlequins. And some of it, you know, they tend to be sort of six to eight week rugby programs um, just to introduce. They actually then tend to go on to the local clubs. And that's that's the life, you know, that's the lifeblood of, of club rugby for boys mm-hmm. and girls men and women you know if you don't have participation participants signing up at the, the youth level it's probably not going to filter in and hopefully there yeah. are future future players future administrators volunteers again are the lifeline of, of club rugby community grassroots you know yeah. they're getting into the sport and be it a fan of quins player whatever it may be um you know they've they've hopefully enjoyed their rugby and they've they've loved it and it means that they're translating into clubs to kind of then grow the numbers at club level which is just fantastic to see yeah so yeah the foundation do do wonders they're very creative like like the club tried to be and um i think because it's so closely linked to the main club it's, yeah it's great to see and i think american sports always led the way you know they all tend to have um foundations and it's become something much much more significant in in British UK sport over mm. the last few decades um but yeah, I think it's essential yeah essential with the fan base that sport has regardless of which you know football rugby whatever American football whatever it may be you know it's a huge vehicle and a huge platform to then be able to promote mm. much wider than okay the 80 game 80 minute game coming up let's talk about some much bigger issues here yeah, it's a huge recognition of the role that sport plays in a society and in our culture. And I think that's why people are feeling so compromised with not having that live 
pitch experience yeah. lately. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, watching it on TV maybe is or maybe isn't the same. Like obviously we're having to innovate to find ways to make sure that people still have access to, to viewing and the athletes still have competitive, you know, situations so that they're developing. But it, it does sound like, you know, so has the foundation continued through its activities through COVID or how has that been impacted? It has. I mean, it's definitely adapted mm. and, and definitely adapted and changed, um, yeah. certainly. Just, I mean, a lot of it was obviously schools delivery and, and schools weren't, yeah. weren't open, obviously. But, I mean, they've been running summer sports camps as soon as they could do, which is probably the first kind of organised activity for, for young kids in the local boroughs um, that were able to get back. And actually, they weren't just rugby. It was just general fitness, health, cricket, you know, football, just, just you know, but being able to take coaches down and and get them involved and frankly out of the house, right? I mean, that's been a significant yeah. thing for anyone in the world right now is there's been a lot of time inside. So it's getting yeah. them out, being being active. So they're, what's great to see, I think actually they had one of their first school sessions back because schools in the UK have just gone back for, for the autumn term. Um, I think they literally started yesterday or today is their first delivery session, which they're facing a new world, but at least particularly for young people, I think that's going to give a level of normality and a bit of, oh, this feels a bit probably hopefully feels reassuring. You know, I used to do this, that's been able to come back. Okay, maybe the world's getting getting back to, to some kind of normality. So yeah, they they were very, very creative. As I said, obviously they definitely took advantage of the digital digital engagement. Um, but they were also out and about. They delivered equipment to rugby clubs. Um, they did food bank collections. Um, they, they've been very ingenious in, in how their engagement has sort of done outreach programmes. And one of our yeah. women's players actually works for the foundation. We've got another player who works for our community team, which is sort of the community level of coaching and um, grassroots engagement from the, from the pure rugby side. Um, and so actually it's been... A kind of a, a real big aim and intention to get our players actually working in the business side and out on the grassroots because you can imagine having a player turn up to your school every Monday is pretty cool yeah <laughs> it's pretty cool and, and the story there alone is to say well she's not only competing for her country and for Harlequins but she actually goes out and engages and inspires the next generation yeah and it's a genuine career interest and she wants to be a rugby coach when she retires we're benefiting her but it's it's fantastic and I also think that you know that's another element of change is there hasn't always been a load of female rugby coaches well that again is another absolutely massively transformational moment where there's more and more women staying in the sport yeah. realizing that's a career in itself now and um you know that's going to inspire a whole new host of people in in the future um, yeah. and, just, and again it's going to be normal it's going to be completely normal that it's there's there's female coaches and they're, they're coaching at the very highest level and, and yeah. at the grassroots too the ripple effects are huge i think from exactly. a from a societal perspective and within the ecosystem of of the sport within that league but within you know sport in general as well it's um yeah these things take well it's a shame to say they take time don't they like i wish it wasn't taking time that <laughs> it was just like of course we yeah. have but but do you see any opportunity that comes through COVID for women's sport? Because I think back to, of course, the very different circumstances and, and tragedies, but, you know, the First and the Second World Wars of females leagues kind of coming through that, whether, you know, we, yeah. we hear these romantic stories of baseball and soccer and whatnot, where there were, you know, people, people crowds being drawn, et cetera. And, of course, as, you know, men came back from war that that shifted and changed so we didn't see that continue is there 
any similarity here of an emergence or an acceleration of female sport coming out of this tragedy, particular as it may be? <laughs> yeah, I think I think what there's definitely opportunities and it probably does tie around the broadcast and the opportunity mm. to, you know, so, so the crowd sizes for test events, they have to be quite small for some women's sports and predominantly, you know, definitely rugby are our normal crowds. <laughs> so yeah. there's an opportunity there to be like, well, this, this clearly with some added level of, of protocol and parameters, this, this is our normal. And if there's an opportunity to get crowds in, it should be with women's sport. I also think the other opportunity with, as I touched on at the start, there hasn't been any sport. So as it returns, I think the women's NBA is a great example. Talk about a chance to engage a whole new level of fans who, who unfortunately may never have watched it before and they've been crying out for some live sporting action and they go, yeah, I'm going to give this a try. And, you know, I'm I'm sure within a few minutes they're like, this is fantastic. And we've had that in women's rugby. We've had, we've had the naysayers. We've had the people going, oh, it's not for me. And I guarantee the number of times someone's gone, Oh, yeah okay this game's moved on it's evolved this is incredible to watch um mm. you know and I think I think that's the really exciting opportunity you know people have been starved of their sporting entertainment and right now the attitude is in a really good way will we want to watch anything we want to watch sport we've missed it so much so I think with the right scheduling and the right platforms and the right engagement you're you're going to be able to attract a whole new audience and, yeah you know, even more so as I said the stories across women's sport of yeah, they were working in a hospital or they were working in the military or the police when this happened. That I think is going to resonate and someone go, wow, they're then doing this and they've, they've yeah. gone through that. And it, you know, I did that or my family member did that. It's, there's a real, is that ripple effect? It's, the it's, stories are compelling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think there is, and it's, yeah, it's challenging, but it's also really exciting that, um, you know, people are craving sporting content. And if it's given the platform to be able to do so, they will they'll be like we don't care that it's women's sport and that's music to my ears it should be yeah. a sport doesn't matter yeah, doesn't matter exactly. it's, it's, women. Sport. it's just sport yeah. it's just sport and um that i think will will allow a lot of people to to kind of hear about it know about it and yeah i want to hopefully with crowds they want to come because it's still live sporting action and, and particularly for us we try and mirror you know it's on a smaller scale but our women's match days try and mirror the men so we have the same sports presentation and we have live music and we have our led screens on in the back you know on the, on the pitch with our advertising and, and commercial partners branding we have food and drink all of that kind of thing so yeah it's it's a smaller operation because mm-hmm. it reflects the crowd size crowd crowd of the size of the crowd sorry but it's um you know it's still well I know I'm gonna have a good day I know my kids are going to enjoy it it's an affordable product and, and yeah. again it's gonna that's where you really start to build some momentum and, and people want to keep coming mm. back and but it yeah, probably does attract a different type of crowd you'd probably know the metrics of the difference uh, in the the demographics between the crowds but my super anecdotal um thinking around that is just uh, from from women's ice hockey actually mm-hmm. of watching that here in in north america and you know amazing matches particularly between you know canada and us this yeah. wonderful rivalry that, <laughs> that goes yeah. to olympic level in each year for me personally i love watching the women's ice hockey because granted there are different rules in, in the in the sense that it's a full contact sport as well um they have different rules which in my untrained eye I feel like they have to be technically stronger because the hits aren't as big. Mm-hmm. And so they have to be much stronger with their stick. They've got to be much like really, you know, technically very good with, with the, the skates, et cetera. And so you're watching a, um, an elegant game of 
technique as opposed to yeah. just brute force alone. And I know some people, you know, really enjoy the, the brute force of it. <laughs> um, so I don't know if, if, if that, if the, the rules reflect how the players play and then how the players play reflects what kind of audience you draw in as well. I don't know if that, if you ever see that. No, and I think, I think the great thing about rugby is that there are no rule differences. Differences. Okay. Same pitch, same equipment. Um, It's, it's all the same currently. And I think that's great because it's, it ties down right to like, like soccer or football. You just need the ball so you can start playing it in the park. Well, actually rugby is the same chuck a couple of sweaters down yeah, on the ground. Yeah, you need a lot of equipment. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, or at least so um, <laughs> I, think, I think in that regard, of course, it's different because of the, phys- you know, the physical nature of, of players. But actually, the ball is in play a lot more in women's rugby. You know, it's, you know, it's that we've got a player who can bench press 100 kilograms. You know, they are proper athletes. And yeah. I've had a number of people say, oh, actually, I wouldn't fancy having her run at me, tackling me. You know, it's, it's really stepped on and it's it's... They're elite athletes. They're training, you know, two, three times a day, recovery, nutrition. And, um, you know, it's a really entertaining spectacle to mm. watch. Um, and, that, yeah, we, we do attract more families. But at the same time, that's fantastic because that means that we're getting the next generation in. And actually, what yeah. I love to see is that we, we it isn't just women and girls. It's dads and daughters, which is awesome. Yeah. It's young boys. And actually, almost in a way, it's the young boys the most important because it's just making rugby normal. They're enjoying it. They, yeah. you know, our members, we've got some of the biggest membership in, in, in rugby in, in the UK. We've got just under 9,000. And the membership engagement, they don't care if it's men or women. They care that it's the Quinn's shirt and the Quinn's want to win, <laughs> you know, when they come yeah. and back us. And I like, we were at training the other day um, and we're training at a, a hotel in South West London at the moment. It's got kind of rugby facilities in it. And um, it was a really nice thing to see so there was these two young boys and they walked past me and they said oh is this um this the England team and I said oh no it's actually it's actually Harlequin women um but we've got some of the England players they're like yeah yeah no no we recognize some of that which was incredible and then interestingly later on in the evening they were standing on the standing beside the pitch watching now clearly unfortunately because of Covid normally I would have been right over there I would have brought the players over said hi and, and unfortunately that that presents a unique challenge at the moment but the fact that mm. Two boys who must have been, I don't know, 12, 10, 12, 12 year olds. Um, they sat and watched training for a good hour. And I don't yeah. think that would have happened. I don't think that would have happened four or five years ago. And it was it was actually quite a, a special moment, you know, to see that, to go, they just think this is normal. They see an elite rugby team training out on that pitch and they want to watch and they know some of the players already and not fussed that it's not men. Uh, super excited to be watching that yeah. level of, of rugby going on. And I think that's been the huge shift change. Look, our demographics are anything and everything. We get our members, we get um, men, you know, groups of men, groups of women, families, we get rugby clubs coming down. Um, you know, I love the dads and daughters. I think the dads have woken up to the fact that, yeah, you know, some of them probably want their daughter playing for when she's older because they love yeah. rugby. But some of them have 100% gone, these are some incredible role models. And, yeah. You know, my daughter loves rugby. Who knows if she'll play at the elite level, but she's never had this visibility before. You know, yeah. she's never known that women play in major stadiums and, and in front of big crowds. So I want to, I want and is that the that stigma? That you mentioned that there's stigma, there's been in the past stigma around women's rugby and it, and it makes me conscious that maybe I've just touched on that with regards to biases around like 
is is the game the same? Are people as physical? Are they, um, you know, so so what are the stigmas related to to women's rugby? I think the I think the stigma is more just is is more around you know because it used to be a an amateur sport which is mm. essential. You can't not have the amateur level of the game, but you know perhaps training once or twice a week and you know played on a Sunday afternoon, you know in your local park or your local club, and now it's well they're playing around the world for their teams right. and they're okay. professionally paid athletes and they. Um, you know, they, they're playing in front of thousands. You know, we, we will play in front of bigger crowds than some of the lower men's leagues, for example, which, which is, is massive to say that we're not, you know, well, we're competing with the likes of women's football that have leading crowd numbers. And I think that's, that's the whole, you know, well, I saw her in the newspaper or I saw her on the television and now I'm watching her at the game. And, and it's, not just, it's not just stigma, it's, it's down to I can get some really good food and drink and I can have a really great day out. It's not kind of oh, the lights were switched on, they played the game and I went home. It's a, it's a day out, it's an experience. Total experience. Friends, yeah, yeah, with friends and family mm-hmm. is a really great day out at a pretty affordable price point. And it's, um, it's, it's that element and that's where it's significantly changed. And that comes because the marketing, the branding, the league's been revamped, the teams involved that have a lot of close links with, with their respective men's teams. It's run by the national governing body. It's, it's, it's one of those you can't just do one thing and hope for the best. There's been thinking across yeah. the board of, of it's a genuine momentum. Mm, exactly, exactly that. You know, yeah. as as I said to you, the All Blacks, the All Blacks rugby team played in front of 50 people. The All Blacks wouldn't survive very long. But as a brand, they've built their nice, the most renowned team in the world. I think even if you're not really into rugby, you probably still know who the All Blacks are. So yeah, um, depending on which part of the world of, you're from, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all it's all got to be together and it's yeah it's critical that that kind of aligned thinking makes sense you know you've resource got to, and messaging exactly. and yeah mm-hmm. exactly absolutely that. exactly that it's so, also yeah, no, working yeah no sorry I was going to say like yeah the demographics are a really great mix and actually we want anyone and everyone because because then you're going to have more and more people from from such diverse backgrounds and and personalities come into the game because it just normalizes it it becomes mainstream then you don't want to target yeah. a certain demographic it just want it to be hey that's a great game of rugby and a great this stadium. is rugby yeah go down yeah so yeah you know fingers crossed long that long may that continue I think I just made your next banner. This is rugby. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that on so- someone's already like that. done that. I'm sure. Yeah. But, but you're right. It's not this is women's rugby or this is men's rugby. It's like this is rugby. That's yeah. I, I, I get where you where you're headed. So amazing work, and it's so good to hear about. I mean, I know we traversed a lot, and COVID's obviously at the front of a lot of people's minds at the moment. But this momentum of women's rugby is actually way bigger than just yeah. just this moment in time. So hopefully it fortifies and you know gives us a springboard to to move through into the next season the 2021 season (laughs) where people are raring (laughs) to get back in um get back into the stadium so thank you so i know i'm conscious of time we do need to to you know be aware of i'm sure you've got lots of things to do but i'd love to wrap up with asking our, our few rapid fire questions so the first question that i have for you is i do my best work when Oh God, this isn't going to be rapid at all. Um, <laughs> I do my best work when I've got some music on in the background, and actually, I've got quite a lot on. When I've yeah. got, I've got when I've got a long to do list, and I'm like, right, 
I need to get through this. And my job is very, um, this is the least rapid response. I know. My job is very, um, I have multiple things going on, multiple spinning yeah. plates, multiple different areas. It might be, do the players have the right kit to a strategic plan around commercial breaks, which, which is a challenge in itself. Um, and so, yeah, when I'm like, right, I need to just, I need to go for this and it's probably so part multiple of priorities pressure yeah. and it's, it's yeah. probably used to, I'm inherently used to a high pressure situation and working to tight tight timelines because of my whole life yeah. I've, I've worked towards a performance moment um, and that probably then ties back into okay deadlines approaching now <laughs> I need to get this done I like that idea. Like your 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 way of working is with a with an eye on a performance moment. That's really interesting. Yeah. And what kind of music? Oh, uh, you know what? Anything and everything. And I I know <laughs> I'm uh, I'm half Canadian, and I do I love country music. Which yeah. I'm half Canadian too, but, but do not but love country music. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you know what? All kind of music, even just the radio. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really into any kind of music, but I. I need to have it on sometimes just to yeah some kind of, give some me, kind of background, background atmosphere yeah exactly <laughs> i have started trying to understand country music more lately i i, I can i can I think there's genres you going. i think there's yeah i think there's genres within the country and i don't i'm not an expert yeah. in any way but i mean let's be honest it probably <laughs> ranges from taylor swift to the proper yeah. country music you'd hear yeah um and some everything in between Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And Dolly <laughs> yeah. Cool. So fun to understand. So next question. I wish my colleagues were talking more about. Oh God. Um, <clears throat> I wish my colleagues were talking because I'm very bad at this, aren't I? Um, that was a tough question. <laughs> talking about women's rugby. And I would say that, that they already do clearly because look at the growth and success we've had, but I'll always push for more. And that's just probably mm-hmm. a personal thing. I will always push for more. I always, I want it to be mainstream. I want it to to always be at the forefront of our thinking. And that, that already happens, but hey, you can always ask for more, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I like that. The cup can always be fuller. Maybe not that mm-hmm. metaphor didn't work, but yeah, we can always ask. We'll get another cup. Get another cup. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Keep going. And have another one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, I want our spectators to know that. Um. Women's rugby, if, if, you, if you get on board with it, is one of the best things in the world, on and off the field, from everything we've just spoken about. It's a truly awesome thing to be part of. Nice. Get into it. And then the final question, my gift to the next guest is? Be better at rapid response questions. <laughs> <laughs> get ready for the um, rapid response, yeah. <laughs> um, speak with passion. Um, you know, and showcase showcase your profession because I love what you're doing. You're speaking to so many different people from so many different backgrounds and it's a great platform. And hopefully, you know, I'm not sure what I get people get into the world of sport, but hopefully it's given them some massive insight and they haven't known about women's rugby. And maybe I've just hopefully created a load more advocates of the game and people are going to go check out what the foundation do and check out Harlequin's Women and maybe give us a follow. And, you know, what an awesome opportunity to, to talk about something that, you do every day and are hopefully massively passionate about yeah thank you well it's definitely planted seeds in me this was a a general area that I knew I supported but nothing specific in terms of knowledge so 
hopefully like thank you for graciously accepting my my questions that I'm sure you know you must get all sorts of um well-informed as well as misinformed questions and um you know you received them all <laughs> with no 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 with, it's, um, been, um, with it's been fantastic so. no it's been fantastic to speak and actually I'll um I'll give a quick shout out the USA women's rugby team is actually really good really competitive we okay. had one of our we've had a player come over called Christine Summer who um she she's kind of integral player within the USA women's team and Look, it's the World Cup in 2021 and over in New Zealand in September. Um, I think they finished top four, top five at the last World Cup. Um, and, you know, she started her own, she started her own foundation with another American player to, wow. uh, to kind of help raise funds for the team because there's going to be a lot of international travel because they're not fully professional. Um, but for any US-based listeners who might not know about rugby, actually the USA men's sevens team, women's sevens team, and... Um, you know, the, the 15 sides are doing some great things. There's a new rugby league called Major League Rugby that started. And, um, hey, get out and watch it because it's pretty, That's pretty good cool to sport. Yeah, really good sport. To, to I, will, I will check them out. I mean, my heart has to say that I'd be behind the women's Australian team. No, of course. <laughs> but of course. Sevens, um, the Sevens League, actually, in Hong Kong and Singapore is just massive. Like, there's nobody yeah, exactly. there who doesn't stop for Sevens each, I think it's April kind of time frame. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah definitely, like, good shout out for people in the US, but I think we've got a, a well-converted audience in that part of yeah, the world exactly. as well who will be, yeah. <laughs> be into it. Definitely. So. No, thank you. Thanks for being an ambassador for women's sport and for showing the passion. So really appreciated having you speak today. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been really fun. Thank you. Absolutely. The real work wouldn't be possible without the contributions of our whole team here at Lantern Rouge. Production support is managed by Mark Hayes, and our beautiful music is brought to you by Artlist. That's it for now. See you at work.